One round remains in the Pro Motocross Championship, and folks, then begins the playoffs, which we've been talking about on this show since before 2023 even began. Jason Thomas, Jason Wygan here, SMX Insider. But there is still one title in motocross to play for, the 250 Championship. But really, the drama is Jet Lawrence trying to get this perfect season done. And to be JT, you can't have a better setup than Chase Sexton trying everything in the final lap at Bud's Creek to get him and end it. You know he's going to try again. Yeah, I really felt like we weren't going to get that battle. You know, Chase has made mistakes at critical moments and deprived us of a full moto battle to, to see if he can do it. And then he did he ever bring it in the final two laps at Bud's Creek? So I don't think it's over by any means. Of course, you know, Jet has the odds in his favor. He's been so fantastic all summer long, but you can see it in Chase's face that he really wants to upset the apple cart here and, and unfortunately deprive Jet of that perfect season. I want to clarify here. So Jet on the podium... I think to you said he thought he was the only rider that had to roll a jump with the red lights and red cross flag out, but it did turn out that Sexton did that too. So Sexton made up that ground by pushing jet mentioned He was stuck in lap traffic, but all year JT, we've talked about the race management. To me, this was the downside of that jet, not trying to build up those massive leads. It almost backfired. Yeah. I think he felt that chase had kind of relented and wasn't going to put in some heroic effort in the last two laps. So he backed down his pace a little bit, thinking that both of them were gonna bring this thing home, but Chase wanted no part of that. Chase was still thinking this race was up for grabs and he put in some of his best laps at the end. So a little bit of a misinterpretation by Jet, which is uncommon. He's usually right on top of things as far as assessing the situation. It didn't cost him this uh, this particular time, but I would bet you guys like Johnny O'Mara, his father, Darren, I bet they're all talking to him like, hey, got to be a little bit mindful you can't assume that the race is over and a guy like chase has so much heart he's not going to give up so it was i think it was a little bit of a lesson learned it didn't cost him anything but i think he did learn something there okay it'll be all on the line this weekend at ironman national on saturday and then the playoffs begin after a weekend off september 9th talk 250s here hunter lawrence exactly what he needs to do this topsy-turvy 250 class now we've even got a red flag restart halfway through but he always manages the situation well and his seventh win of the year now. Yeah, and I think it's just keeping the status quo. That's really all Hunter needs to do here. If you can leave the Saturday afternoon event with the same points that you had going in, what more could you ask for? Because time is on Hunter's side, right? The impetus is on Justin Cooper to change the narrative. He's got to make up a ton of points, which happens to be 22, and he's running out of time. There's only two motos left. So great, if Hunter can win the race, that's awesome. Make a lot of money, grab all the headlines. But more importantly, you just want the clock to keep on ticking. Okay, so that's the story. 450-250 promo to cross finale this weekend. Then the playoffs begin. Now we're going to take a look back. Our big interview. This is going to be some really interesting insider stuff, which no one has ever heard before. Let's get to it. Okay, big interview time. We're joined by uh, Brett Smith of WeWentFast.com and a really fascinating story that you, I feel like it just came out, but you told me it was 18 months in the making and it's rare that we ever have real numbers about what motocross and supercross stars ever made, but you and Ricky Carmichael and everyone in his camp dug in to when he switched teams about 20 years ago and we have real numbers and a fascinating story too. Yeah, the greatest gamble in motocross is about Ricky Carmichael's shocking switch to Suzuki, which JT, you were there racing at the time. Everyone remembers Carmichael's signs with yellow. They hadn't won a Supercross championship since 1981 yeah. when Ricky was three years old. <laughs> and he said, yep, we're going to go win on this bike. Yeah, and the fortunes of Honda, meanwhile, Suzuki couldn't have been lower and Honda couldn't have been higher. 
Yeah, and it's an incredible story to me, but what interests me is, you know, in this sport, we don't have any of the, you know, the collaboration between players and teams and any of that. So details are always sketchy, right? We never know who's making what, what the contracts look like, any of that. So when you set out to get numbers like that and ask hard questions that typically aren't available, was there any pushback? Or was someone like, ah, I don't really want to talk about that because that's typically the answers you get from these riders. It's like, yeah, and a lot of contracts, I've been a part of these, you're not allowed to spell the details of a contract. And I don't know if there's like a term of limitations there, but I just was curious how that process worked for you. Ricky just said, I have nothing to hide. Let's have it all out there. It's been 20 years. I want guys to know what everyone else is making. And I know riders today have said, like Adam Cianciarulo said it on his podcast. Why, why aren't we talking about this? Yeah. And their memories of what they made are fuzzy. A guy uh, like Ricky didn't okay. go over all the fine details. He paid people to do that. So if I'd have taken the first interview he gave me and just published those numbers, what he based were based on his memory, we would have been way off. It wasn't <laughs> until his inner circle went back and pulled the actual contracts out. You know, we didn't print any of the, the actual details, yeah. but you know, actually the, the actual pages, we didn't print those, but we talked about the numbers and he's like, whoa, okay, yeah. So that's, I guess that's what I made then. Okay, so for you, you know, like you haven't seen a ton of rider contracts like this, right? So you got to look at the real deal in one of the biggest contracts that's ever been signed, certainly the biggest at the time, I would imagine. Was there something that you remembered that really stood out, right? You're looking over these documents, you're like, wow, I did not expect to see that. Because I think for, for most people, they would be shocked at some of the bonuses that are available and, and just the commitment that Suzuki made at the time. 30 pages long is what wow. a contract yeah. like that yeah. is in length. And there's a lot of if this, then that. There's a lot okay. of scenarios. If you do this, then we'll pay you that. Right. If you don't do this, then we won't do that. And what was unique about Ricky's contract with Suzuki is that it was guaranteed money and there was no injury clause. Right. It wasn't, uh, yes, it wasn't bonus heavy. The not so secret secret in the industry is that riders get a salary, but the accelerators of winning titles, winning races, or what a title or race win one year can accelerate your salary for the next year. Suzuki just said, we're just pushing all the chips in. Exactly. Yeah. Honda came with an offer, and Ricky's like, hey, what? You know, his agent was like, I'm going to go get you a guaranteed deal. His agent at the time was not a moto guy. He didn't come to the races. You probably never met the man. I did not. He never came to the races at all. He was a golf agent. And he, he looked at Ricky's deals, and he goes, you know what? You're the greatest. Yeah. You're the best right now at what you do. Why aren't you being paid like the best? This well, is what I believe. And so he went after that, and Honda's like, Whoa, we don't, we don't, we pay for potential. We don't pay guaranteed deals. Um, we said we're going to have real numbers. So you have some real numbers of how this all totaled out, right? Absolutely. Suzuki offered him $4.7 million guaranteed. For a The year agent went after $5 million. He okay. said, can we get $5 million yeah. a year, two-year deal? So that stroke of a pen, you're a decamillionaire. Whew. So 4.7 per year. 4.7 yeah. per year accelerator clauses. Oh, it still had some, not the traditional level of bonuses, but it still had some. Yeah, they, they off, so to get him up to 5 million, like if you win the championships, we'll yeah. give you 300,000 a piece, which is championship bonuses today. And even then for that level of an athlete, we're way more, yes. but Suzuki wanted to give him incentive to get over that $5 million a year mark. I see. So he did, obviously in hindsight, we know that he won four championships with them. His, his base salary went up in 06. So we're up to 11 million in the end, right? But you know what? He still would have made more money with Honda. With their bonuses, yes. had he won like he did. Yep. 
incredible. But that's not guaranteed, right? You can't count your yeah. chickens before they're hatched. That was fun for Ricky actually admitted on the, on the phone when we were talking. He's like, you know what? I've never admitted this to anyone. But I was doing math back then when I had these two uh. offers. And he's like, you don't race for money, but you're still like, I'm recovering from my knee injury. I got two offers. And yeah, okay, we're going to do some math here. I figured out what I needed from Honda, and I asked them for 300000 more. That was my line, and they wouldn't meet me there. Well, I, I think about other sports like the NFL, right? It's not so different. A lot of injuries in our sport, a lot of injuries in the, in the NFL, and that's why there's so much pushback on guaranteed deals, right? And it's very, very rare. I think about like Deshaun Watson. The Cleveland Brown gave him $230 million guaranteed, and every other team was like, we would never do that. And I see a lot of comparisons there where Suzuki's like, that's our guy. We're going to get him. We believe in him. Here's all the money, right? It's just... It's a wild story. I don't know that it's ever happened again in our sport. Yeah, but it changed the fortune of those two teams. Honda did not win a title until this year, and we're talking about 04 to 05 until now winning a 450 title. And Suzuki then had a run even after RC with Reed and Dungey, James Stewart, you name it. So it worked. The gamble paid off. Where can people watch, uh, read it again? And they can listen to your pod too, right? WeWentFast.com. It's an 11-part yep. series on there. It's, there's a whole hub, Pagination, so you, can, you don't have to read the whole thing all at once. You won't lose your place. So... Read a couple parts, come back to it, and you know there it is. And podcasts, search "We Went Fast" in your podcast player. Cool. Episodes 20, 24 and twenty-five. Real numbers, like yep. we said, real numbers. <laughs> Thanks, Brett. Thirty-second board time. Let's run down some hot topics in the sport right here. This was really cool coming into Bud's Creek, not Unadilla. Unadilla, we had Daxton Bennett race after winning the Nikki Hayden Horizon Award at Loretta's, but we had already seen Bennett race two pro motocross races before that. The debut race suddenly became Bud's, a race after the Red Lens. We had three of them, Casey Cochran, Mark Finnis, and Julian Bomera, and they rode well. They each scored points, Bomera at the top. I thought it was an interesting thing. You know, uh, Julian Bomera, Juju, as he likes to be called, was the one that really stood out, you know, getting right around that top 10 in his first weekend. The other guys ran into a little bit of adversity. I saw uh, Mark was basically dead last in one of the motos. He went down on the first lap, but I think more than anything was a lot of learning and they'll probably be better coming into Ironman, just knowing what to expect a little bit more. Now, here's what's interesting. I did not know that Boomer was already signed to go to the full Red Bull factory KTM team next year, full-time, so congrats to him. I don't think Cochran or Finnis, I don't think it's set in stone. We might not see them in Supercross next year. They could still be futures. We don't know yet, so uh, lots to play for at Ironman. Uh, so we'll see how that turns out for them. Way back, go about six, seven years ago, this was the position that Austin Forkner was in. He was the hot shot coming out of the amateur ranks. He was masterful early in his career, tons of injuries. This was encouraging. It's been a long time since we've seen Austin Forkner put up this kind of performance, leading, battling for a podium, ends up fourth overall, and scored huge points for a playoff push. This might get him in. This is what we need. More guys up front. Austin Forkner is ready. Yeah, I think a lot of people forget this is one of the winningest active 250 riders in Supercross that we have. He may be the winningest. And you look at what he's capable of, you look at his form before he went into that stretch of injuries, he was the guy to beat. He was the one battling Dylan Frannis and Chase Sexton and these guys for titles. And to see how far he's fallen and the climb he's currently back on to get there, it's a wild story, it's interesting. We both got to talk to him this weekend at Bud's Creek and he's so optimistic, he knows what he's capable of, but he also knows the path that he's gone through over the last few years and it's just small steps to get back there, but you can really see the progression. If he's going to be even better in three weeks in the playoffs, look out. He could win the thing even coming out of the LCQ. That'd be wild. Another rider, shout out to Jalik Swole, took full advantage of that red flag restart halfway through. 
Bummer for Hayden Deegan, who really probably had that moto win tucked away. Then the restart. Swole got to lead and ended up third. Got it on the podium. Yeah, Joique was really bummed at talking with him on the podium. He felt like, you know, he had blown his opportunity with the red flag there, but no, he still grabbed another good start and made it happen. So for Jalik, he's, it's contract time for him. He's trying to find a home for 2024 and rides like that, putting himself up on the podium, it reinforces the belief that he can still do this, right? He can still be a factor in this class and it could not have come for a better time for him. Let's talk playoff points here in the 250 class. It's really intriguing. Two segments. First, the top 20 riders are guaranteed into the races, and it is Enzo Lopes of the Muckoff FXR Club MX Yamaha team. I should say clinging to that last spot, but not really. He's just resting in that spot because Seth Hamaker, with a decent weekend, can overtake him. And then Hamaker, who's ridden well since coming back, would automatically be in the races. And Enzo, I know he's going to race SMX, but he's going to have to do it with the LCQ. I'm a little bummed. His team races outdoors. Enzo, get out there. Race maybe these last three, six motos, five points, 10 points. Could have made all the difference. So that's one battle. And then this other one, top 30, we're talking Benick and McAdoo, who's injured but trying to get in. Forkner, who we already talked about. So many guys, Styles Robertson. It's pretty wild to see high-profile riders in these positions. Yeah, it's a, it's a new dynamic for everyone, right? Is trying to understand the ebb and flow of how this goes. And for Enzo, you wonder what was going through his mind as this summer unfolded. Did he think it was going to come down to the final moto to see if he was in or out? Does he have to go to that LCQ every single weekend in September? That's not going to be a lot of fun. Uh, but for Hamaker, he has a great opportunity here. He hasn't raced a lot, right? He just raced these last few outdoors. And he could set himself up to be a, into these main events, all three of them. And we know with his starting prowess and his skill set, he could be a real factor and not have to deal with any of that LCQ drama that these other guys, the Austin Forkners and what, that's going to be a really tough ask for a few guys to get in an LCQ weekend after weekend. And you know they're going to be going for it, right? That the money that's at stake per weekend and, and for the overall points payout is serious. So if I'm Hamaker, I'm doing everything possible to have my best weekend and, and walk that spot up. And if you're Enzo Lopes, I don't know what you do. You pray? Uh, I'm not sure what the best course of action is here for Enzo. But yes, to your point, maybe they're going to, you know, guys like that are going to rethink their summer plans moving forward. The point. 771 that we have on the screen there. That is the margin of victory at the end with Chase Sexton running down Jet Lawrence. We talked about this at the top of the show, but I just love the setup uh, for Iron Man. You and I talked about this on our podcast with Mathis. I don't feel in the Carmichael Stewart perfect seasons before there was this level of threat going into the final round, Sexton versus Jet. Yeah, and, and I think there's two different philosophies for a lot of riders here. When you, when you get down to these final motos, everybody's tired. It's been a really long season and we still have the SMX playoffs looming. It's hard for some riders to find motivation, right? And Jed has been so dominant all summer long. I think a lot of these riders have just given up. Like they're just, I can't, I can't beat Jed. He's starting ahead of us. When he doesn't start ahead of us, he just comes past us and rides away from us. There's not much we can do. That's not where Sexton is. Like you can see Sexton really thinks he can get this job done. You don't charge the last couple of laps to the rear tire of Jet without that belief, right? Because it would have been very easy for Chase to just lay up, put in a couple of cruise laps at the end and finish where he was. That five to seven second gap, leave that alone, go into Ironman, but that's not who he is. I, I talked about it at the beginning of that moto. I could see it in his eyes. He was so locked in. Everybody else was jovial, laughing. They're ma making jokes, right? The season's coming to an end. That's, that's a typical dynamic on the starting line. Chase wanted no part of that. He was all business. And I don't think he wants to go out without winning a moto. Now, can he get it done? 
that's for those two to decide. But I think his heart is very much still in this, and he wants to find a way to beat to beat Jet here. Here's why. It's not just about winning one race or ending the perfect season. We all know Sexton and Jet, that is set up to be the rivalry for the future. And the mental game is so important. I'll, I'll put it this way, JT. Sexton is the Monster Energy Supercross champion this year. Does it feel like that right now? Does it feel like he has the big title and the upper hand at all? It certainly doesn't. I mean, Jet has stolen all of the limelight, all of the momentum. And for everyone saying, yeah, yeah, Chase is the future. I go back to last summer. Everybody talking about, well, you can see the passing of the guard here. At some point, Tomac's going to hand it over to Chase. Well, now it feels like whoever handed it over to Jet Lawrence or Jet just took it from whoever. So that that narrative can change really quickly. I know Ricky Carmichael has been talking that about, about that a little bit. If you don't rise up in the moment and take and seize the opportunities in front of you someone else will and and i think jet or uh, chase understands that and as we roll into that playoffs and we go into the supercross dynamic chase is your points leader right and jet has to go in and dethrone him so this battle will start over the points will reset and chase knows he has a chance to be the smx champion yeah that's what makes it so dynamic this weekend sexton versus lawrence it's both short term and long term at the same time now, the story is similar for Grant Harlan. In the short term, I think he's been the most improved rider that we've seen in 2023. And in the long term, if you go from Anaheim all the way to the SMX playoffs, where I bet you he's going to make a whole bunch of money, what a phenomenal season it is. But unfortunately for him, not all is good. He's originally from Hawaii. We asked him about the crazy both fire and hurricane combo over there and what his take is on that. Yeah, so most of the family I have over in Hawaii is on the Big Island where I grew up. Um, I know my mom, I don't know if they're technically family, but you know, like friends over there are basically family to everyone. So like, my mom had somebody that I know of that was on Maui and, you know, they're safe and everything. But uh, yeah, it's a real bummer to see what's going on over there and um, all, the, all the lives that have been lost. Yeah, and we're with him. That was just tragic what happened over there. But then oddly enough, so Grant moved to Texas for racing purposes when he was younger. And unrelated to the fires, or maybe related, JT, he had a fire at his barn and lost a bunch of bikes, tools, parts, and everything anyway. Yeah, when I first heard about this, I couldn't figure out if this was a, a Hawaii fire and why he had parts in a barn in Hawaii, but then it ended up being in Texas. And I the, the timing and the circumstances were, it was... You want to say it's irony, it's all of it's sad and unfortunate, but I just couldn't believe the correlation between fires of him being from Hawaii. There was there was a lot there. Um, thankfully, his race bike wasn't there. It was on the road, so he could continue on with the series. Uh, but certainly, you feel for all the people in Hawaii, and uh, just the devastation there is is hard to imagine. Okay, this is a weird one. Ken Roxon fired off some tweets after the race. Uh, I think these are directly at you. Directly at you, Jason? <laughs> sure, directly I'll take it. You? That's fine. Okay. Um, yes, we are going crazy on these shows talking about the perfect season for uh, Jet Lawrence. Ken Rodson's right. There have been many other great, talented riders, including himself, on the track before. But this was a little bit bizarre, I think. He had to know some heat from the fans was coming, and uh, it did. His replies were not pretty. Yeah, it's, a, it's unfortunate. I mean, Kenny is certainly entitled to whatever opinion. He is Jet's peer, and we saw how close he was to beating him at high point, right? So I think he has a point. For us, what else are we supposed to say? Jet has been phenomenal. And for us to not sing his praises, I don't feel is really fair either. So it's a tough spot. Um, you know, I don't know for, for our perspective, I don't know that there's a right move as far as what Kenny wants. Um, Kenny has had, I think, these accolades put upon him. You look at his 2015, especially the 2016 season, how great he was. 
I think I was probably saying the same things about Kenny. So it's a tough spot. I think it just comes down to the competitor in them. They they want to beat each other so badly. And if they see someone else who they feel that they can beat being talked about in a certain way, they're going to, you know, it's going to bring out all of those competitive juices, which is totally normal. So no harm, no foul for me from Roxanne. I understand it. I just don't know that we can do anything other than say what we see, which is, is greatness coming from Jet. Yeah, no doubt about it. He's 20 and 0 in his rookie year. I, I can't take any of that uh, away from him. Let's go to the SMX schedule coming up. We mentioned playoffs, so there'll be a weekend off after the Ironman National. Normally, that would be the end of the year because we're not going back to California for a second race at Fox Raceway like we did in Pro Motocross last year. But oh no, after a weekend off, we're racing playoffs. I cannot believe it's finally here. We've been talking about this for 13 months practically at this point. And we're going to go to Charlotte and then Chicagoland and Los Angeles. There's the schedule you can see on the screen throughout the month of September. And starting to hear a little whispers of teams trying to test, trying to build tracks for this. But it's a great unknown, and that's kind of fun. Yeah, it's, it's a great thing that's happened to the sport. All, you know, everybody that came together that, to put this together deserves a huge pat on the back. I think it's going to be a spectacle. The riders are starting to come around, right? Because they, I think they have to think really short term like there's there's races that just keep coming and you know the playoffs are out there but now it's reality you have to start thinking about oh yeah i've, I've got to go race inside a stadium or a speedway or some sort of supercross ish dynamic very soon so you've got to get the supercross suspension back out you got to start thinking about practicing i think you know the way that this these races are going to be put together the unique point system where it you know continues to escalate through the three rounds uh, there are going to be so many new things and new wrinkles to this that we've never come across, and uh, I'm just happy to be a part of it. Let's give you an update on the SMX standings when we combine Supercross and Motocross together. Two talking points here. At the top, Chase Sexton has already clinched number one seed, but look at Jet Lawrence. He's only eight points behind Adam Cincerolo with another good weekend. Cincerolo, who knows? He could 2-2 it and, and remain within eight for the weekend, but Jet could move up to third. That would be two more points to the good going into the playoffs with the reset. So that's one story, but... The main thing I'm looking at is this LCQ battle. Top 20, JT, straight to the motos. No LCQ. 21st to 30th. Have to race the LCQ. Jose Butron has to get in. He has to try to pass Josh Hill because you don't like his chances if he has to go to the last chance. No, this is a rider who really doesn't have any Supercross experience whatsoever. And the difference between going to the LCQ and not, to me, is everything. Because his odds of making it out of that race are, are in my opinion, very low. And you're talking about a lot of money in the difference here, especially for him. A lot of these other guys from the bubble, a Phil Nicoletti or some of these guys, they have lots of Supercross experience. They either will get in or they won't. But I think for Boutron and I think everyone around him, including him, he knows it's make or break this weekend. And we're talking about tens of thousands of dollars hanging in the balance here. So it's the race within a race. Of course, everybody will be watching to see if Jet goes undefeated. But I will, be ha I will have an eye on the number 107 the entire time. Yeah, so he's looking at 11 to 12 points he's going to need to score this weekend and then just make it more intriguing. We've seen weekends where Boutron has been a top 10 guy and is scoring 20, 30 points a weekend. We've seen weekends where he can barely score any points at all. So we have no idea what's going to happen. Here's one unfortunate side effect. We tried to get Freddie Norin here to give a little promo for the SMX playoffs in his native Swedish language. He could not handle it. Hey, jag är Freddy Norén. Det kommer bli kul att se dig. Se er. Ah, I butchered it. Who would have thought that speaking my uh, my native language would be harder than speaking English? Hey, jag heter Freddy Norén. Freddy Norén. Det ska bli kul att se er på dem. Ah, I butchered it.
Bummer. That wasn't even a complicated sentence that we were trying to get Freddie to say. But you've been around a lot of these international guys, both when you raced overseas or when they moved here. It's kind of a sliding scale of a lot of them lose their native language when they're not speaking it for almost the entire year when they live in America. Yeah, I've, I've been friends with a lot of riders who have come over, uh, notably Sebastian Tortelli. And if you don't have someone around you, your wife or a child or someone that you can speak your native tongue to all the time, you just get out of practice. It's like anything else. So to hear something like that and then some of the other Swedes that we know all giving them a hard time, is uh, that's great fun. And first time ever, yeah, more history on the line this weekend. I'm surprised to see this, but no brand, let alone no one team, has ever won all of the championships in one year. But that's what Honda's on the precipice of doing. They swept all three Monster Energy Supercross titles, the two 250 regional titles, and the 450 championship. They had the 450 motocross title. If Hunter Lawrence can end it on top this weekend, Honda and Team Honda will have won all the titles. But I'm shocked this has not happened before and just... More good news for Honda that suddenly everything they touch turns to gold. Yeah, and I, I had the pleasure of sitting next to Lars Lindstrom on our flight home uh, from Bud's Creek on the weekend. And I think they're shocked at how well things are going, right? This is a team that could not get over the hump, break the curse of the GOAT for 20 years. And now they can't seem to do anything wrong. You know, not only are they winning the 450 championship, which is already locked up, they have the second best guy, in my opinion, in the 450 championship and Chase Sexton. And then they're on the precipice of winning the 250 motocross championship after winning the 250, both of the regional championships. So it's it's just a cavalcade of riches for Honda HRC. And it, it feels like it's just gone in spurts, right? There was such a drought that now it's flipped and all of it's coming at once. And it's like a, a feast or famine situation for those guys. And I really enjoy them. They're, they're such a great atmosphere and it's really, it feels looser over there than it has been that, you know, Honda used to be just felt uptight and, and all business and they were really good at what they did, but it just didn't have this kind of inviting atmosphere. And that has completely changed. You go over there, everybody's having a good time and the success seems to be following that. We welcome in our staff statistician, the king of the calculator, Clinton Fowler. Good to have you on hand hanging out with us at Bud's Creek over the weekend. So you saw what we saw. It looked like it was going to be another cruise in moto number two for Jet Lawrence and then the mega charge from uh, Chase Sexton. So this is kind of what we've seen since Sexton returned from injury at Red Bud. Clinton, can he be the spoiler? This is really going to be interesting going into the final round. Yeah, I mean, we just has been a, a full season of seeing kind of the same thing play out here. You go back to the Supercross season, he made seven rounds. He had mistakes that cost him 35 points. Um, he did win, obviously won that championship fair and square, but he made it hard on himself, right? And he's continued to do that with pro motocross. He's had 14 motos that he's been back. He's made seven mistakes or seven, seven motos with mistakes. Those are just costly. Um, we're looking at his full season. He's now had mistakes in 14 of the 31 races he's lined up against JT. I mean, it's just one thing after another, and it seems like clockwork that we can expect them to, to put it on the ground, unfortunately. Um, what do you think it is? Is it mental? Is it the bike? Is it just a combination of all those things? Yeah, I think it's it's both, right? He he believes that he has a problem with losing front-end traction, right? And, and I think that becomes, on some level, a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you think something is going to happen and you think there is a liability, Oftentimes you're going to find that problem, whether you're looking for it or not, because you are expecting that to happen. So he has had a phenomenal season. This has been the one rub of the entire year is that when he gets into these moments, 
he tends to make a mistake. And you can look back at Supercross, like his crash at Oakland comes to mind. And then all these mistakes through pro motocross as well. It's been the same dynamic over and over and over. And yeah, it's probably kept him from uh, winning a moto this summer, right? He still has two opportunities left, but I think it's both. I think there is a tendency with his setup, whether it's the Honda itself or his particular setting on the Honda. And then now it's happened so many times that I think he is kind of leaning into it. Like he expects it to happen and then it happens more often than it should. Yeah, 14 times, basically half the races he's been in, he's made a mistake and we're not even counting. He had a front end tip over washout in practice as well at uh, Bud's Creek. So yeah, it looked like a race we've seen before. Maybe Sexton can do it, crashes, it's over. Except those final laps of Moto2, Clinton, I think way back in like February, he said maybe Sexton just needs to go so fast that he can still win with crashing, and it almost happened. You know, I had forgotten about that week, but I did say that. And, and Moto2 was very much that way, right? He's sitting there, the, the first five laps of that race, you could really throw a blanket over him. Those guys were running one, two, um, unfortunately lap six. That crash costs him six seconds. Ultimately, you fast forward to the last five laps of the race, he's got, uh, Jet's got an eight second lead, and that is interesting. That's where Chase starts to capitalize. Laps 14 and 15, he's able to cut three and a half seconds out. He just kept charging and charging. And you can look at the lap time ranks, and you can see the Jet started to play it safe. He started to back it down a little bit. If you watch the race, you can see him start to look back, look behind him on the track. Jet's lap time ranks went to fourth in lap 14 and in ninth in lap 15. So he really backed it down a lot. And then obviously, obviously he he brings it back. Chase starts to put the pressure on the last two laps of the race. Chase is the fastest in both laps. Jet's the second fastest, but Chase is still able to cut out another four seconds and make it really close at the end. JT, it's really interesting now to think about how much pressure Jet's going to have to make this a complete streak of the season um, and a guy like Sexton just being the spoiler or the potential spoiler. I think that's the way he'll be entering Ironman. I think he still believes he can steal a moto win. This isn't very far away from where he grew up. He'll have a lot of friends and family there. And I think it's it's a pride thing. It's an XMX playoffs thing. And it's also setting themselves up for who's going to be the dominant guy for the next five to seven years. I think that's what's at stake in this little microcosm of a weekend going into Ironman. Yeah, and I want to clarify on the podium, Jet thought that he was the only one that had to roll a jump with the red lights on and the red cross. Turned out that Sexton did have to roll that too. The lap traffic did not do Jet any favors, but it just sets up a grand finale where at least Sexton thinks he can get the guy. And Jet already knows he can because he's done it 20 times to this field already. So it's going to be fun. The calculator is going to be burning up with these lap times this weekend. Clint. They're going to get a workout for sure in Ironman. I'm looking forward to it, Weege. All right, we're headed to Ironman Raceway. Come join us. Really great track. Doesn't have the history or heritage of some of the others. But as an all-around facility and racetrack, I think people really like it. And it's not far from Redbud. So what's your excuse? People show up there, right? Yeah, it's going to be a great weekend. Uh, we, we still have championships to hand out. And I think this this undefeated thing for Jet is reason enough uh, to watch history being made at someone that is this young. We always have a historically high turnout at Ironman. The weather's looking like it's going to be phenomenal, get cool off a little bit. So perfect setup for a perfect weekend. And if you can't join us in person, we'll have the coverage, of course, all the motos on Peacock or the Super Motocross video pass if you're outside the United States. Race Day Live presented by Motosport.com at 10 a.m. Eastern on Saturday. And then we'll go racing starting at 1 o'clock and we'll stay on the air straight through everything. So join us there. 
We're the Jasons. We'll see it on Iron Man. Iron Man. And unlike me, we'll see if uh, Jet Lawrence can be perfect there and do the incredible, which is start his 450 campaign undefeated.